Now, I was taught, told about Throwback Sunday that I was supposed to, to preach a throwback sermon. And by that, one of my favorites. And so I'm going to preach a sermon that's, that I wrote 37 years ago. Yeah, antique. It's an antique. And um, it's, a, it's, it's based on the book of Job which is wisdom literature in the Bible that deals with the question, basically, why does bad things happen to good people? Why, why do these things happen? Why do bad things happen? Of course, that's an age-old question, isn't it? It's older than 37 years, I'll tell you that much. And it's also this sermon based on a country song called Rosalie's, Good Eats Cafe, and I'll say more about that in a moment. But today we're going to be looking at the book of Job, and I want to set the book of Job up to remind you uh, about the story of Job. And it is a story. And, And the story is set as kind of what I call a poetry sandwich. There's prose on one end and prose on the other end, about three chapters of prose here, about a chapter of prose here, and in the middle is this poetry sandwich, nearly 40 chapters dealing with these questions that we have related to the human condition. And some of the very poor answers that we have, and some of the voices that are in our heads sometimes that tell us things that aren't true about God. So we know about Job, that Job was known as a blameless and upright fellow, a righteous person. In fact, the story has it, God is bragging to, uh, um, to Satan about my servant Job. And, and, and Job has uh, quite a big spread, especially for a blameless and upright fellow. He has 7,000 sheep. He has 5,000 camels. He has 500 uh, yoke of oxen. He has 500 she-donkeys, not counting the he-donkeys. And you know he had he-donkeys. And he has 10 kids, seven boys, three girls. And Satan says, well, of course he honors you, God. He has everything that anybody would ever want. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I I mean, you take away what he has and he'll curse your name. And God didn't say it in these words, but God in essence says, I don't take things away from people. I don't hurt people. These are my children. But Satan is going to take matters into his own hands. And so Satan moves into the life of Job. And as the story goes, Job has a servant who comes in from the the South 40. And the servant says, Job, you're not going to believe it, but... But, but there, there were some hoodlums who came in over the hills and they put your servants to the sword. And, and I'm the only one that survived to tell you that they stole your oxen, they stole your donkeys, they, they, they stole your, um, your camels. You have nothing. And then a sheep poke came in from the North 40 and this sheep poke said, you're not going to believe it, Job. But fire came down from heaven. It consumed all of the sheep. It burned up all of your shepherds. And here I am, singed that I am, the only one who survived. 
And then a man came in from town. And he said, Job, I've got some tough news. You need to pull up a chair. You, you know, your kids love a party. Job said, I know. I oftentimes will have a burnt offering and sacrifice and pray to God for their forgiveness after their parties. Yeah, I know. But they were in town today, and they were having a party all in the same house, and a wind blew through the town, and it blew the house. Job, all ten of your children are dead. That was a pretty rough day. Lost everything he had, even his children. And, and so he, he puts sackcloth cloth and ashes on himself, and, and, and he, he prays to God. He will not curse God's name. And then as the story goes, God gets to bragging about Job to Satan again and said, Can you believe my servant Job? You've taken everything away from him. And still he honors my name. And that's where we pick up with the story. From Job, the second chapter, beginning with the seventh verse, let's stand for the reading of God's word in honor of, of the stories of the faith that we stand on. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with loathsome, loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and Job took a potsherd and with it scraped himself and sat among the ashes and then his wife said to him do you still hold fast to your integrity curse God and die that was uplifting but he said to her you speak as one of the foolish women speak shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil from the hand of God? Job's confused too. In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And when Job's three friends heard of the evil that had come upon him, they came each from their own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to condole with him and to comfort him. And when they saw him from afar, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they rent their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. After this... Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. This is the word of God from the, for the people of God. Thanks be to God, we say. You may be seated. Perhaps it's a, a vice, but I just can't help it. Being a rural Born East Texas, child of the 60s, I cut my teeth on rock and roll and country music, okay? Confession. 
Now, I like classical music. I love jazz. I like really all kinds of music, but I really do love me some country music, the old stuff. And I'll, yeah, and I'll be the first to say that barroom brawls and drunken stupors and cheating are not too edifying and maybe not fit for church. But a lot of these songs we need to hear as being words of real human experience and pain and suffering in many cases. And whether the songs are about soldiers or winos or street singers or prostitutes or divorced daddies or unwed mothers or homesick drifters or prodigal children or a man stricken with sores all over his body from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head, there's a common theme. Suffering. The question of why. And whether you like country music or not, you have to admit Job's story has all the makings of a really good country song. (laughs) You know, I was in seminary in the early 1980s, and I had a professor named Dr. Tex Sample. You would have loved Tex. You can still love Tex. He's still very much alive. And he's been a champion um, for LGBTQ folk for many decades. He taught us a class, he was a church and society teacher, social ethicist, in the 1980s uh, called Blue Collar Ministry because in Kansas City there were lots of of steel workers and the wheels were coming off the steel industry and there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in the blue collar environment and so Tex wrote a book in fact called Blue Collar Ministry and he taught a class called White Soul and White Soul is about country music which he said was the soul of the working class people and, and he talked about um, all of these country songs that we needed to listen to we'd go to bars at night during this class and, and, and we'd interact with blue collar people and we'd listen to their music and we'd, we'd, we'd watch them drink beer and uh, And I remember in class one day, Tex Sample said, if I hear one more song, or one more sermon based on the song, Bridge Over Troubled Waters, I think I'm going to throw up. (laughs) And so when I heard him say that, I thought, you know, I want to write a sermon for Tex that's based on a country song. And the church where I worked, we had a custodian who was um, an out-of-work steel worker, and, and he was working at the church trying to make ends meet, and, and he was also a country singer. He had a little band. We'd go and hear his little band on the weekend sometimes, and, and um, his name was Don, and, and, and I told Don I wanted to write a sermon based on a country song. And Did he have any ideas? He said, I got just the song for you. It's called Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you, you probably never heard it. It's on an album by Bobby Bear. It had eight verses Bobby sang, and so it's too long for the radio. Nobody's ever heard it, but it's there. It's kind of an obscure album. But he said, you know, the funny thing about it, that song was really based on a poem that was 50 verses long, and it came out in the Playboy magazine. <laughs> so he brought me that 50-verse song. Not the magazine, not the magazine. Just the song torn out of the magazine. 
And I started reading it and I looked at the, the, the author of the poem was a man named Shel Silverstein. You ever heard of Shel Silverstein? He wrote The Giving Tree. He wrote The Missing Piece. He wrote Where the Sidewalk Ends. He wrote these children's books. And lo and behold, he also wrote country music. And he was also one of the featured writers in Playboy. And so... Um, I listened to Bobby Bear sing that song. And so I want to ask you, have you ever been to Rosalie's? Really, have you been to the joint? Anybody been to Rosalie's? We'll talk later, Clyde. It's two in the morning on a Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. The onions are frying and the neon is bright. The jukebox is starting to play. And on the wall says, in God we trust. All others you have to pay. And it's two in the morning on a Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. The short order cook with his mama tattoo. He's turning them hamburgers slow. The egg's over easy and the whole wheat down. Did y'all want that coffee? to go he never once dreamed as a rodeo star he'd wind up here today at two in the morning on a Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe there's a tall skinny gal in a booth in the back wearing jeans and a second hand fur she's been to the doctor she's called up a man she wonders just where she can turn she stares at her coffee she looks toward the ceiling but God it's a strange place to pray it's two in the morning on a Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. Real human experiences. You can find them at Rosalie's at two in the morning on a Saturday night. You know, one of my early appointments was as an associate pastor at First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas. I was assigned there in 1986. And um, we were a downtown church at the corner of Maine and Clay in Houston. And in the 80s, the wheels had come off of the real estate industry. And there were 
Um, there were shops closing all in downtown. It was like a ghost town, but there were lots of people on the streets, and a lot of those people had mental illness. The Reagan years. And um, the associate pastors each had a, an on-call day. And that on-call day was largely spent dealing with people who came into the church off the street who were needing to speak to a pastor. And I remember one day that I was on call, getting a call from the receptionist downstairs, and she said, we got a case today. So there's this man, he's real angry, he's obviously mentally disturbed. And he's demanding that he see a pastor. He, he has this odd request. He wants 10 minutes with God. I said, okay, I'll be right down. She said, you better bring some help. So we had an associate pastor named Paul Wilkie. He was my age. And uh, Paul Wilkie's dad, Bishop Wilkie, wrote the Disciple Bible Study. And Paul had a gift too. Paul was 6 feet 10 inches tall. Athlete, basketball player. So I took Paul with me. And we got downstairs and we found this man just like he'd been described. He was angry. He was pacing. He was obviously mentally disturbed. And when we got there and we said, may I help you? He said, I don't need any of your money. I don't need any food. I don't need a place to stay. All I need is ten minutes with God. I want you to get me 10 minutes with God. I've got some questions to ask God, he said. He said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. I'm mentally ill. He said, I've lost my wife. I've lost my family. I've lost my job. I've lost everything. I'm on the streets. I have nothing, and I want 10 minutes with God. Paul looked at me. I looked at him. They didn't teach us that in seminary. He said, I've got a demon. And I don't know why. And I need God to tell me why. We stumbled around for what seemed like an eternity. Trying to comfort this man. and Trying to convince him that we just didn't have 10 minutes with God in our portfolio. I finally said, look, we, we can't do that. I, I don't know how to give you 10 minutes with God. I, I, I can't do that. He said, we're the best we can offer. And we'd love to pray with you. He looked somewhat um, disappointed. But he said, okay. So we took him into the little chapel and we laid hands on him, and we prayed. He was so anxious and shaken and mad, and as we prayed, I don't know what we said, he just got a little calmer. And when we finished, I don't know, he might have just been feeling sorry for us, but he did seem much more relaxed and calm, even though he still had a demon. We didn't fix him. He was still mentally ill. A 
But Paul and I got a lesson that day. And we both committed that until we could cast demons out of people and give people face to face with God, we were going to pray that God would use us. We were going to pray for compassion and the ears to listen to the needs of others and the mind to reason and a will to act and the love to share the good news about our compassionate God. You want to go back to Rose Lee's? There's an old dollar bill in a frame on the wall. It's the first one Rose ever made. It was once worth a dollar a long time ago. But like Rose, it's starting to fade. She's back at the register dreaming of someone. Just how it been if he'd stayed. It's two in the morning on a Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. The stoop-shouldered man and his frizzy-haired woman, it's strange how their eyes never meet. He's playing the pinball, she's fixing the blanket for the kid who's asleep on the seat. He's out of work and she's putting on weight. They never did have much to say. It was two in the morning on a Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. The waitress, darling, she sits at the counter painting her fingernails blue. Short order cook yells, move it or lose it. Pick up this order of stew. But one day a rich, handsome man will walk in and carry her far, far away. From two in the morning on a Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats. Cafe. Thank you. Only 44 left to go. <laughs> Tammy's and my niece, uh, Megan, was a fantastic uh, young person. And we lost her a few weeks ago. To a short bout with cancer. There's a picture of Megan. She was funny and positive and made such a, an impact on so many young people as a coach. She made a difference in a lot of lives in her 33 years that she lived on this earth. You know, we've been uh, talking a lot about memories the last several weeks together as a family and 
we've remembered some vacations that we took with, uh, with the family, the extended family. My father was a pharmacist, and he would take us to pharmaceutical conventions. Sounds like no fun, right? Well, we didn't go to the convention. We went for the party, and we went to Washington, D.C. We went to Disneyland, and we were remembering all of those fun things, and we've laughed and laughed. And You know, we pray for a time when that laughter will bring more joy to our hearts than grief. She was a great softball player. In fact, um, the year that... My son, Zach, and Megan were in, as high school seniors, they um, were both athletes. Our son, Zach, he was an all-state baseball player his senior year, and Megan was an all-state softball player her senior year. And They did a little article on the two of them in the Brownsboro Chandler Statesman. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> Zach went to uh, Southwestern University where he played ball, and Megan went to Southwestern Oklahoma University where she played ball and and there at Southwestern she met a handsome lineman on the football team his name Jonathan he was a country boy from western Oklahoma and I remember uh, Megan telling me well he he drives heavy equipment he hauls hay he he has cows and she said uncle you're gonna really like him and I did I do and I was honored to officiate at their, at their wedding, October the 10th, or August the 10th, 2009. And their 10th year anniversary was this year, and Megan was just a few days away from her own death. But we celebrated 10 years of marriage. Now, she knew she wanted to be a high school baseball coach or softball coach and she had landed a job right out of her university and she went to work for the University of Texas in Tyler and she helped take that team to the national playoffs and then she got a job at the little town of Bullard with the Bullard Panthers who were a terrible softball team and she really did improve that team in fact they went deep into the state playoffs this year and she was quite the coach But the two kids she influenced the most were her children, Ella and Davis. Ella's starting first grade this year, and Davis is four. And they didn't have their mother very long, but they knew a mother's love, and their parents, Jonathan and Megan, were quite the team. While the playoffs were commencing, Megan had a pain in her stomach that she said she was going to take care of as soon as the playoffs were over. And when she went to the doctor, what was discovered was a terribly metastasized cancer. And she was diagnosed in um, May, and she died on August the 14th. Now, my sister Jill and my brother-in-law Kyle, they're true champions as far as I'm concerned. Her husband, Jonathan, of course. A good friend of hers, Abby, who's an oncology nurse. They grew up together, and Abby was beside her many, many nights and all that last week of her life. Uh, this past week, um, 
Kyle, my brother-in-law, and I spent a little time on the back porch, about two hours. He needed to talk, and I needed to listen. We both needed each other. And I heard what he knew I'd heard before. You know, I've asked myself why, he said. I've asked God why. Prayed so hard. And I just don't have those answers. I I told him something that we talked about on that porch. I told him that the night of the visitation after Megan's death where there were, they say, 1,500, 1,600 people that came to greet the family. And I said, you're going to hear some really awful theology tonight. Somebody's going to come up and say, well, I guess God needed another angel. And so we took Megan. What kind of theology is that? Yeah, that God would just say, okay, you know, I need another. I'm short an angel up here. I'm going to just go down there and snatch this one out of life and turn her into an angel, turn a human being into an angel. Where do you get that in Scripture? But I said... They don't mean harm by that. They don't know what to say. They're just trying to care for you and they're doing all the wrong things and saying something like that. You're going to hear other things. We just don't know why God does this. God doesn't do that. God loves us as his children. He's given us free will to choose. Sometimes we make choices that we don't even know that they're damaging us. Sometimes we... We all have to live in, in an imperfect world with our bodies that sometimes fail us and go haywire. We can get cancer. I know that firsthand. Our hearts can um, you know, go crazy and we die from a heart attack. Or we, we can get some kind of mental illness. That we, we just, and some of these things we just can't explain, but we don't. The story of Job says you can't put that on God. And the story of Job also says you're not going to understand everything here. Maybe our brains just aren't big enough to take it. And the story also, as you know the end of the story, Job gets everything restored. Now, that doesn't always happen to us. But the bottom line is God always works toward the redemption of the worst of circumstances. That won't bring Megan back. But hey, Megan's in a wonderful place. We're talking about us who need to be redeemed and healed. Right? You've been there? So I don't have any answers for my family. But that we all have to pray for compassion. And the ears to listen to the needs of each other. And a mind to reason and a will to act. And a love to share the good news about our compassionate God. God is good. And all the time. The world is crying for a compassionate human response. In the story of Job, those three characters, they couldn't give it. They just wanted to fix it and it. Bound of in Job's fault. What did you do, Job? What did you do? You know, that God would do this to you. My goodness. 
And Job finally has had enough. He said, I need ten minutes with God. I want to talk to God. And God accommodates him. And in essence says, were you around when I threw the stars in place? Where were you when I birthed the earth? And Job has to say, I trust you. You're my hope. Now you're going to walk out of here today and I hope you go straight to Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. You know, what do you say to um, the mama tattooed cook? You know, you're not going to be a rodeo star. You're, you might as well get happy flipping the eggs. What, what do you say to um, the frizzy haired woman who's gotten pregnant? Oh, you, you got yourself into that problem. You need to clean up your act. What do you say with the man with de- to the man with demons? You're crazy. <laughs> what are you doing in church? This is a place for good people, and you're crazy. What do you say to parents or a husband or two little kids? It didn't, God needed another angel. It's maybe not saying, but absolutely being the compassionate God. Jesus, the compassionate God, said, Love, welcome the stranger. Love, visit the prisoner. Love, heal the sick. Love, feed the hungry. Love, clothe the naked. We don't have to fix it. Isn't that good? Because you can't. We pray to a God who can fix it. Not always in the way that we think He should fix it. But we pray for compassion and the ears to listen to the needs of others and a mind to reason and a will to act and a love to share about the good news of our compassionate God. onions are frying and the neon is bright the jukebox is starting to play and it's two in the morning on a Saturday night at Rosalie's Goodies
café. Amen.